0: You know, the idea of following your passion means follow whatever you're excited about in this moment. And I don't think that it stretches people to really do the tough, introspective work to not discover passion, but to discover purpose.
1: And welcome back to Off Record with your host, Corey Levy. Today we speak to entrepreneur, best-selling author, and philanthropist Adam Braun, who is best known for being the founder of Pencils of Promise, a non-profit organization that builds schools and increases access to education for children in the developing world. He also wrote a New York Times best-selling book, The Promise of a Pencil, and more recently the co-founder of a one-year debt-free college alternative called Mission U. In this week's episode, Adam talks about his personal upbringing and what led him to start his organization. He also gives advice to current college students. He opens up about his past failures and what are the biggest misconceptions about the outcome of the degree and many more. We hope you enjoy this week's episode of Off Record. Our guest today, Adam Braun, started a for-purpose organization called Pencils of Promise, which has built 400 schools around the world. He is a New York Times bestselling author of The Promise of a Pencil. and He also just recently launched his newest venture called Mission U, which is trying to replace traditional college with a one-year debt-free program. Super excited to have Adam on the show today. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, just to start off, why don't you take a minute and fill in some of the the gaps from that intro and a quick glimpse into your life? Yeah,
0: sure. So, I was born in New York. I was raised in Connecticut and born and bred in the Northeast. Went to Brown University for college, played basketball there for my first two years, and then started really traveling through the developing world in my early twenties. And that eventually, after a short period of working at Bain and Company, led to me founding Pencils of Promise and growing that over about seven or so years to you know a great place. And now, obviously, it continues to scale and expand. I'm still very involved as founder and board emeritus. But my passion for international education eventually really morphed into addressing some of our domestic education issues here at home, in particular with the broken college system. And that led to co-founding Mission U, which is a debt-free college alternative for the 21st century. And so I moved out to the Bay Area about a year and a half ago and been loving it ever since.
1: Awesome. What was the moment when you decided, all right, Think I need to allocate my time elsewhere and spend time solving this problem that you're trying to solve the mission to you.
0: It was a very clear moment for me. So I met my wife in late 2011, and as we you know eventually got engaged and moved towards marriage. You know one of the things that becomes you know very important is understanding the financial realities of your partner. And I knew that my wife had an incredibly loving family, but without a lot of financial means, they came to this country and she was nine from South Africa, uh, really pursuing a better life uh, away from crime as well as Really, the American dream, and so you know, hardworking people who really kind of bought into what the system said was the path to prosperity and success, and that meant going to college. College is supposed to be this great economic enabler, and so my wife went to college initially out of state and transferred back in state because the tuition fees were so high, and she just got absolutely decimated by this crazy amount of student debt and had to leave school before even completing her bachelor's degree. And so I had written this book; it had become a New York Times bestseller, and so I was being asked to speak. On a lot of college campuses, because this book, The Promise of a Pencil, is used by a lot of colleges throughout the country as the common read for all entering freshmen. So I go to these college campuses, give a talk, you know, about how these kids needed to focus on international education and, you know, the depth of poverty and these children that needed their support. And inevitably, at every campus I spoke at, there'd always be a handful of students that would say, Yeah, that's really nice, but we have a really broken system here at home. And is there anything that you could do to really work on the challenges we have here that we're suffering from as well? And, you know, right as we were approaching marriage, I asked my wife to really understand the realities of her situation. And I knew how crushing her debt had been. But she said, you know, I have over $100,000 of student debt, and I don't know that I'm ever going to get out from under it. And it's just debilitating. And so I said, look, before you get married, I think you should consider bankruptcy, like fully declaring bankruptcy, and your credit will be destroyed. But we're going to get married. I have good credit. So you can take on mine and, and we can go build a life without you having this kind of cage around you for you know, the rest of your days. And that's when she said to me, I can't. And I said, why not? And she said, student debt is the only debt in the United States that cannot be discharged through bankruptcy. And, you know, I had a finance background and worked at Bain. And I was like, no, no, I, I, th- there's a way to figure this out. And, you know, I started reaching out to various friends that, that worked in the type of places where you would get the right advice to solve for this. And everyone came back and said, no, your wife is right. This is the only debt that someone can't get out of. And that was really the moment when I think in my mind, at least what eventually is now Mission U was born. When I realized what a criminal injustice, It is we're perpetrating against millions of people in this country, telling them that they should pursue a bachelor's degree when it's going to cause more harm than good in their lives. And I said, this is a broken system. I want to build a company that can both have great financial outcome for all involved employees, investors, etc. But also really serves an incredibly essential and important social mission. And it was just so obvious right in front of me.
1: Colleges now continue to invite you to speak. Have you spoken about this topic on college campuses before?
0: I do. It tends to be more student groups that are inviting me than central administrations. But you know, one of the things that I've actually seen since launching Mission U is that most of the people that work at colleges, whether they're professors but administrators as well, they're really good people who want to see the best for the students that they support. But they also recognize that they're part of an entrenched system that has very real costs, fixed overhead. Infrastructural legacy costs that they're just tied to. And so, you know, I've had a lot of outreach from traditional colleges looking to potentially partner with Mission U, you know, individuals at colleges saying, can I come work with you guys? Can we partner together in some capacity? And so, you know, it's it's not my place to say, you know, colleges is is bad. You know, what I do think is important is to acknowledge that the one size fits all belief that every student needs a four to six year path to a bachelor's degree is no longer relevant for every single student. And there's a large swath of the American population that needs something else. And so I think colleges recognize that. And so, you know, there's some, I think they're real hardcore traditionalists that don't really love what we're doing. But for the most part, the reception has been very positive
1: let's say you're a college student right now, you know, freshman, sophomore, or junior. What would you tell a student today? Yes, continue on your college path or, again, maybe rethink this. It's not a one-size-fits-all approach. What would be the characteristics of someone that you would recommend leaving school? Sure. I
0: would say to any student that you should be a savvy, ROI-driven consumer of your education. I think for a long time, especially for, you know, young people coming out of high school, there was just this underlying belief that, of course, I should take on these loans. Of course. I should ask my family to support this enormous cost because it's going to be a guaranteed multiplier for my future. And that just isn't the case anymore, especially for thousands of the schools around the country that are charging enormous prices without particularly strong results. So, you know, I would encourage any student to do the research on any university that you're considering. Look at what the outcomes are for their graduates historically, as well as, you know, ask about what they're projected to be. And then look at the expected costs and decide, you know, could that money be spent more appropriately elsewhere? And understand that. And interest rates are actually what crushes you as as a young person. Once you take on that debt, it's not like you just have thirty five thousand dollars. If it's on six or nine percent interest rates, you know you're going to be paying back close to seventy thousand dollars over the next twenty or thirty years. So that's the first piece. And then I think for the student that we really believe we can serve best, they are what we would call the career starter. So if you're somebody who really wants to be a doctor, you know Mission U is not going to be the right fit for you. You have to go a very clear academic path to gain success in that field. But if you're somebody who is really eager to learn the relevant skills, they're going to benefit you throughout your career. If you're looking for you know, a direct pathway and a shorter pathway, ideally, than four to six years to you know, get the kind of job of your aspirations, and you're excited to work in companies that you know, bring you uh, that kind of buzz of energy that you want, uh, then I think Mission U is a really good fit for a student. So you know, the students that we we're seeing applying in droves and that we're admitting to the program tend to have kind of two different characteristics that are spiking. The first is they look at the cost of college and they say, this is crazy. And I'd rather take on an experience like Mission U, where we charge no upfront tuition and instead have a percentage of your income that you pay back for just three years and only if you get a well-paying job. And then the second characteristic is that they're really driven to acquire learnings that actually are relevant to the real world. They don't just want to learn about theory, you know, about kind of these like abstract ideas. They want to do things that they can actually present to the real world and that employers will actually value as a skill that's going to be needed through the, the rest of their career.
1: Very cool. I want to talk a little bit about Adam Braun and you and you went to ground. What are the biggest lessons you didn't learn from school?
0: Great question. You know, one of the biggest lessons that I didn't learn from school was that your biggest learnings, your biggest growth is almost without a doubt in my mind, the moments where you fail greatest. And I've seen that time and time again throughout my career. You know, when I'm finding success, when things are going right, it's actually not when I find that I'm in the places of greatest growth that actually benefit me in the future. It's, it's when things really go wrong and I have that moment of uh, like very crushing, you know, failure. And oftentimes, if it's public, like I've made a, a promise to my team or to someone, you know, that knows me, and I said, we're going to go do this and fell short of it. The necessary recalibration to get over that challenge is where I think almost all the learnings and growth come in that benefit you in the future. And in school, it was very different. I mean, you know, as a student, I was just the kid who's like, I'll do whatever it takes to get the A. So I don't need to learn all this like fluff and extract, like extra information. I'll just try and do so it's going to be the test, memorize that just before the test, regurgitate it for the test, and then get an A. And so I was just like so committed to, to kind of the shortest and easiest path to transient success in the form of a good grade that I almost avoided failure at all costs. And what I've learned since is that you actually want to be leaning in and finding times to make sure that you're stretching so much that you do fail because that's actually where the growth occurs.
1: When was the last time you failed miserably? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I try and create like micro failures almost every single day where I kind of stretch in some direction. But, you know, I, I would say we thought that we had a really big employer partner. I thought that we had secured it. I thought it was definitive. And, you know, the moment before we were about to announce it, the evening before, actually, I was notified that, you know, someone in central headquarters hadn't okayed it and therefore we didn't have it. And it created this big scramble. And you know, in my mind, I was like, I failed on this. I thought that we had something in the bag and it wasn't. But, you know, it, it'll strengthen us that much more going forward. And it's, it's a great early lesson that even if you have, think you have something secured, you don't always.
1: And, and what about in school? Was there something ever in school where you're like, oh, f- this is it. Like I, having a terrible day, a terrible moment where you came out better on the other end?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember freshman economics, freshman you know, econ one oh one. You know, it was kind of the first time that I thought, I'm in the big leagues now. You know, like I was a I was a strong academic in high school, but can I cut it at a place like Brown? And so, you know, I went to the lectures and they were pretty boring and, and the guy was just teaching essentially directly out of the textbook. But I went and, you know, really worked hard and, you know, we did our our first like, you know, big exam and I got like a very, very, you know, high score in the nineties and I was suddenly Like, you know, filled with confidence, like I can do this, you know, I'm going to ace this test and everyone in, in front of me. But I also still had these old habits that I thought, you know, I'll just do the bare minimum necessary to get an A. And so I ended up literally after that, recognizing this teacher just taught directly out of the textbook. And so I just stopped going to class altogether and I just read what was ever necessary from the textbook. And when the final exam came for this course, and this is absolutely true, I went in to take the final exam and there were all these questions about topics that i hadn't seen at all and i remember saying to the person next to me i was like what is this this was in the book and also it the name at the top of the exam didn't say Ryder, which was the professor of the course it said friedman and i said and and who's friedman and the person next to me said yeah professor Ryder." stopped teaching the class midway through and a different professor came in, Friedman, and she doesn't teach exactly from the, and literally they changed the professors. I hadn't even known because I'd not found oh, wow. it all. And I absolutely bombed the exam. Like, I think I got like, you know, low seventies or something like that. And it was this really, really crushing learning lesson for me. But after that, I obviously started to pay a little bit more attention and, and not believe that I could just, you know, like find the shortest route to the easiest day.
1: Mm-hmm let's talk a little bit about you know i guess a little bit about habits right now what's something that you kind of know that you should do but you haven't done yet
0: i should bring in a practice of a 20-minute meditation to start my day there was a period in my life probably about 10 years or so ago where i was meditating almost every single day and it was so good for me on so many levels and you know and all the research that's out there and if you kind of ask anybody who interviews a lot of high-level leaders and performers the, the one consistent habit you'll see is a practice of meditation and i just i know i should should be doing it and even this morning I woke up and I I probably had the time for it and I thought no let me just grab my phone and, and make sure I start going through emails and I should implement it for sure
1: And what about, uh, I guess, a habit right now that you're trying to get rid of, you know, a bad habit right now, something that you do that, you know, you need to cut out?
0: Yeah, I'm actually telling myself currently that I'm going to cut most meat out of my diet. I was an athlete my whole life. And so I could eat whatever I wanted. And the same, no matter what I put into my body, at least externally. And so, you know, I realized a couple of years ago, like 90% of the meals that I ate were had either chicken or beef in them. Otherwise, I didn't feel full. And, you know, I've now started to pay a lot more attention to my health and, you know, watching recent documentaries on the idea of a a whole foods, plant-based diet. And then I actually saw the change in in my father when he made the switch because of some family history of heart issues. And I now recognize, I think I feel better. I should make the switch. And I'm telling myself and and very hopeful that in the months ahead, I'm going to go and remove the vast majority, if not all the meat from my diet.
1: That'd be impressive. I'm the same way. I bet 90% of my meals are chicken or them. And speaking of your day, you said you wanted to start with meditation. Do you have any typical routine, you know, morning, afternoon or evening routine? Or is it different every single day for you?
0: It was different for a while. I mean, there's kind of consistent parts. Now it's actually a pretty consistent routine because we have nine-month-old twins at home. And they kind of force you on their routine, right? I mean, my wife keeps a pretty stringent schedule, especially twins. It's, it's really important. Otherwise, they run your life. So, you know, I get up somewhere between 6 and 7 a.m. And the first thing I do before I touch my phone is I make sure that I Acknowledge my wife in some capacity, even just putting my hand over and you know resting it on her shoulder. Like that commitment to human contact before digital contact, I think sets my day in a really just different grounding and foundation. And you know then I get up, I brush my teeth, etc. And then I go and I spend an hour with our babies. And so that means you know feeding them, playing with them, etc. And then after that, I usually do video calls, podcasts, phone chats, etc. And then I head into the office, and then I'm at the office until the point at which I go home and immediately sprint in the door to catch. Hopefully an hour to bathe and feed and put down the babies. And then after that, I make sure I, I try and get in either time with my wife or some type of physical workout. Uh, you know, on Tuesdays, I play basketball on Sundays and, and Saturdays. I go mountain biking. So making sure I get into some type of workout as well as just quality time with, you know, the person that I, I love most.
1: Do you have any productivity hacks or things of that nature?
0: Yeah, I use Captio app called Captio, C-A-P-T-I-O. It's very simple. It's just a note and you just type or dictate or whatever you want into there or attach something and just press send and it automatically emails you a note back. So it's just a faster and easier and more seamless way of sending yourself an email. But anything that's top of mind for me, anything that's a to-do, I just put in Captio and send it to myself and then it's at the top of my inbox. My inbox tends to be kind of my to-do list, the clean inbox otherwise, so I'm inbox zero type of believer. And then that's a big one for me, big believer in Google shortcuts within your Gmail. And, you know, I I don't do like body hacking and all that kind of crazy stuff with my physical health. But just, a you know, I would take Capio as a game changer if you commit to
1: it. Let's talk about controversy a little bit. What would you say is the most controversial thing you've ever done?
0: controversial thing I've done is come out and said that I don't think most people should go to college. And that that is not a particularly popular belief, especially in some circles. But I'm a, a staunch believer that college is not right for every person. And In fact, I think it's actually hurting a lot of people in this country right now. And again, I mean, you know, the first article that came out about Mission U in an education publication, which was Ed Surge, one of the most you know, prevalent and widely read ones in education circles was this long form piece about us. And you know, I thought it was very fair and balanced, but they showed both sides of the debate. And there was one person that they spoke to who the exact quote said, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I can tell you one thing for sure. Traditional academics are going to hate it with a passion. And so I would say, you know, the work of Mission U to some people is controversial. To me, it's it's as you know necessary as anything else out there.
1: How often do you get hate?
0: I try not to listen to it, to tell you the truth. So I, I'm sure there are people saying not great things about what we're trying to accomplish on a daily basis. The good news is we get a lot more, I would say, positive recognition. I don't want to say like every single person loves what we're doing. But we get a lot of positive feedback. I mean, you know, anyone who has a college age student is excited about it because they know the cost. Anyone who's approaching college age or in college currently is excited about it when I speak to them. But, you know, I'm somebody who, especially when you write a book and, you know, you kind of tell your life story and the book does really well and sells, you know, more than 100,000 copies, you get a lot of inbound email and tweets and everything else, you know, dozens a day. And so at a certain point in time, you just kind of stop paying attention to the negativity and, and you try and not let the positivity actually have a huge impact either. You just kind of put your head down and do the work.
1: What would you say like the best piece of advice you've ever been told?
0: Someone once said to me to make the little decisions with your head and the big ones with your heart and that is something I've come back to time and time again in both little decisions that I want to be heart driven I say no you know make it with your head and the the big really tough ones that advice uh, has always been really sound for me.
1: And aside from, like, you go to college and you're going to get a high-paying job, aside from that, you know, I guess, wrong truth, are there any other, you know, bad pieces of advice that you constantly hear people tell young people?
0: You know, I think this idea that you should follow your passion is uh, not a great piece of advice. Why Um, Why is that? Because passions are incredibly fleeting. You know, the idea of following your passion means follow whatever you're excited about in this moment. And I don't think that it stretches people to really do the tough, introspective work to not discover passion, but to discover purpose. And so... I'm a huge advocate for following your purpose. If you believe that you have almost a calling as in, you know, your your fundamental reason for existence, the thing that has you believing that this is why I am here on earth in this life to do this one thing, then you should follow that with relentless conviction and not let anybody else tell you otherwise. But following the latest thing that you're excited about, just because you're feeling excited in that moment, I think is a false narrative that we've sold a lot of young people on. And it's led to them pursuing paths that aren't actually things that they're going to be committed to long term. And, you know, I think inevitably in any journey, you know, there's hard points. And if it's just a passion, you know, passion is almost like a diet. It's like the latest thing or a workout craze. And so I'm a big advocate of instead following your purpose.
1: the young people out there don't have a purpose yet, what would you tell them to help cultivate or find that purpose?
0: Yeah, what what I always encourage people on that front is that true self-discovery begins where your comfort zone ends. And so the best way to go down the path to discovering your sense of purpose is to leave your current comfort zone. You are rarely going to find your sense of purpose when you are completely content and satisfied and within the bounds of what other people have set norms around you to, you know, kind of limit without realizing it who and what you can be in the world. And so whether that's through travel, whether that's through you know, engaging in you know new friends, new relationships, new hobbies, new pursuits that you wouldn't necessarily think are things that are within the realm of your comforts, I find that that's when you start to go discover your true sense of purpose. And that's actually you know a part of the year at Mission U. It's not just you know the skills based you know one year long debt free program, but we spend a lot of time on the deep perspective work that helps people discover their larger sense of purpose.
1: Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Adam, for joining us today. Um, My pleasure. Any other sort of last piece of advice or people want to contact you? How should they get in touch?
0: Yeah, if people want to reach out to me, they can just send me an email, adam at the letter ipromise.org to, you know, just catch all email that uh, anybody can reach out to me at. Um, Otherwise, you know, I'm deeply involved with all of our students at Mission U. And so it's just M-I-S-S-I-O-N and then the letter U.com. And so I encourage anyone that's listening out there to go and check out the website. You can apply. It's really easy. We don't look at SATs or GPAs or even high school completion. We really prioritize assessments around future potential and how do you work in groups and with other people and communicate effectively and all those raw elements that we think will make you a great contributor to a company and to society in the future. So, uh, either apply to Mission U or just reach out to me with an email at adam at ipromise.org or you can just tweet at me at adam Braun and adam com is my website where I post blogs and talks and everything else.
1: Awesome. And then aside, of course, from your own book, any other books that you recommend?
0: Yeah. You know, the book that I, I reread every few years is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. I also try and reread The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho every so often. And then my favorite book of all time is Shantaram by David Gregory Roberts. It's, it's a beast. It's about 900 pages. But once you start, you won't want to end. Thank you, Adam. All right. My
1: pleasure. Thank you.